Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of opening your word, knowing that it's true. We ask that you would help us to yield ourselves fully to you, help us to worship you in your word. And we pray, Father, that you would produce the appropriate result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many things that make me happy. In no particular order, I like to give and receive presents. I like being with my family. I like sports. I like cycling. I like hiking. You've probably noticed that I like eating. And I like riding my motorcycle. Yesterday, I got to ride my motorcycle. It was really cool. I took um, a couple of members of my family for a little ride during the um, late afternoon yesterday before we had some other events that we needed to participate in. So it's, it's always fun to do these things. When you're doing things that you like, it produces a feeling or a sense of happiness. You enjoy it when it's going on. If you're doing any, anything, then many more things than I listed, you tend to be really happy. Um, but we all realize that like family time has to come to an end when school or work arrives. or You can't watch sports all day or get on your bicycle and ride it all day. There are things that need to be done. So the, the happiness of those events, while they are really enjoyable, um, they have to come to an end. They produce a feeling of happiness, but that can come and go. Like anything um, that seems to make us happy, we try to order our lives in such a way as to have that experience again, right? Like, if you like doing something, you try to make, make sure that you can do that thing, whether it's uh, eating or motorcycle riding or hiking. You try to find a way to fit it into your schedule. It's normal to do that. As we continue our slow and deliberate consideration of the fruit that is exhibited uh, in the life of the one that's walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we have come this morning to the second type of fruit, and that is joy. Joy. John Piper has given us a very good definition of joy he spoke this, uh, has probably also written this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, if you think about the events in your life that make you happy and that the feeling that comes up in your soul when you're doing those things. And you think then on the other side of, of a joy that is produced by the Holy Spirit in your soul, what distinguishes these two types of happy feelings? What might distinguish or be a distinguishing characteristic between happiness produced by pleasant circumstances and joy produced by God the Spirit. Well, I think one thing that is distinguishing between the two is one of them can be experienced even when tragedy rocks our world. 
One is enduring, and one is unmoved by other elements of life. What we want to do this morning is recognize that joy, to be distinguished in ways from happiness, joy is a manifestation, a demonstration, of God's work in us. Because joy, true joy, is a manifestation of who God is. And who God is, is demonstrated in the life of the believer who is walking in fellowship with him. So with that being said, we're going to look at a number of elements this morning. First of all, God's people are to experience and exhibit joy. God's people, I hope you're one of them, God's people are to experience and exhibit joy. Let's just notice a number of passages that will be on the screens. In Psalm 149, in verse 2, the Bible says this, Let Israel be glad in his Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. What is the source of their gladness, what is the reason for their rejoicing? It's God. And in case you're not theologically astute enough, God doesn't ever change. If the source and substance of your joy, happiness, gladness is an unchanging being, then the very substance of your joy is unchanging. The Bible says in Psalm 100 and verse 2, serve the Lord with... Come on, you can do better than that. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. It doesn't say serve the Lord with drudgery. Serve the Lord dutifully. That is also true. We dutifully serve. We, we recognize the our... Possession, we have possessed by God, possessed by God. That's, that's reality, but that's not how God intends for us to serve Him. To serve with gladness. Serving dutifully without gladness is not what God is looking for. Sometimes, stereotypically, you know, stereotypes are generally not fully accurate, right? All this type of people are this way, right? You know, You've heard stereotypes. Sometimes people stereotype Christians as joyless. That is ungodly and unbiblical. Serve the Lord with gladness. The Bible says, as as Paul comes to the end of his writing of 2 Corinthians, and he comes to chapter 13 and verse 11, just the beginning of the verse, it says, finally, brothers, what does it say? Is that a suggestion? Rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Rejoice how often? Always. Always. Here in Philippians chapter 4, you're already in Philippians, take a look at chapter 4 and verse 4. Will you read it with me? You might have a different version than I do. That's okay. Read it proudly and read it boldly. Ready? So the people around you know you're a participant in our worship. Ready? Verse 4 of chapter 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He's not fooling around. He, he says, rejoice. Where? In the Lord. How often? Always. And in case you didn't get it the first time, again, I will say, rejoice. This is not a suggestion. This is to characterize the Christian life. Joy and rejoicing. Why? Why? Well, one of the elements that I've mentioned already and we're going to come back to is because it is an exhibition of who God is. That is not the vision that most people have of God. They look at God as as angry, as despotic, as he's ready to lord it over and, and, and rain down judgment, angry and miserable and unpleased. And the Bible lets us know that God is completely different than that. God in himself is perfectly content. He didn't need me to make him content. The heavens declare the glory of God, but the heavens do not make God any better. I may declare the glory of God, but I certainly don't make him any better. God is perfectly joyful and content. What is another reason why we should experience and exhibit joy? At the end of one verse in in Luke's Gospel, Luke 10.20, it says this on the screen, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Is there a day coming when you'll no longer exist in this world filled with some happinesses and joys and good things, but also filled with disappointments and contentions and sorrows and pains. Do you know one day that you're going to breathe your last breath in this world that is a mixed bag? And you'll open your eyes somewhere, and if your name is written in heaven, that means that you're going to be with God in perfect contentment, joy, and peace without pain, without conflict, without turmoil forever. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Is that true of you? If it's true of you, you should have have every reason to rejoice today, to experience the joy of that relationship and that future that is yours in Christ. Secondly, in our discussion of this topic of joy, God's people can experience, listen carefully, joy and pain simultaneously. On March 3rd, 2010, my wife and I went to breakfast with my brother-in-law and his wife at T's Restaurant. We were sitting there. I remember the booth or the table that we were sitting at. And I answered the phone. It was a bad message. I was informed of my brother's death and that I was the only one of my um, nuclear family to know, which means it then became my responsibility to communicate. So that was the end of that little um, enjoyable breakfast. And I started to call my family members to gather them together. We gathered together at uh, 
one of my sister's homes. And I had the duty to explain that my brother had passed away. That was not a joyful experience. In fact, it was quite painful. If I take the time to think about it, I can actually feel the pain of that very instant. I can remember later that afternoon going to Greg's restaurant with my wife, just she and I, my in-laws probably had my kids again, and we were sitting at the table and I was staring blankly out the window, trying to figure out, process this information. And the, the thought that came into my mind was, man, brothers are supposed to have their brothers back. Didn't have my brothers back this day. I remember those painful experiences of my soul. But I'll tell you, in those same days, the love of God, the grace of God, first of all and foremost from himself, and secondly from his people coming up alongside of us to encourage us and sustain with us, to, to provide a demonstration, a visible demonstration of God's care, I can tell you, you can experience both pain and joy at the very same second. God's joy doesn't go away based upon pain. Some of you might be physically in pain where you sit. That is no excuse for you, friend. No excuse for you not to experience God's joy. God's joy is unmoved. Not because of my experience and even some of the experiences that I want to share from the Scriptures that we will understand, but because it is the truth, folks. It's the truth of God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. That's their call. That's their duty. That's their joy. They served the Lord with gladness. They, they went about recognizing that the power of God in the gospel was well worth putting their lives on the line. And so they went wherever God sent them and they preached the gospel. So much so that they found themselves in an uncomfortable, painful opposition. Acts chapter 16, take a look beginning in verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, stop reading there. You, many of you have read the book of Acts. Many of you have studied the book of Acts. Many of you know what comes next. But Paul and Silas didn't have the book of Acts written for them. They didn't know what was going to come next. They had their garments taken from them and they were beaten and chained to a wall. They are physically in pain. 
And you can imagine the emotional turmoil that that probably produced. What's going to happen tomorrow? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What need I say more? What is their response to rejection? Their response to being hauled off. Their response to being beaten with rods. Like, we, we sterilize this because we think, okay, I've read that you know, however many times. Think about the last time someone unintentionally hit you with something and you were startled by it. Now think about them actually doing it on purpose. Now think about them doing it repeatedly. And then you're chained to the wall and you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. God didn't promise them rescue. God promised Paul he would be persecuted. Paul's like, all right, I know what he said and so maybe tomorrow is going to be a great day. So let's sing some hymns. No, I don't think he was looking forward to the next pain. God doesn't tell us to enjoy pain and turmoil. However, while experiencing pain, the joy of God doesn't go absent. So here they are at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his, uh, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds And he was baptized at once, and he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. What's happening? Pain and turmoil and rejoicing and the pain and turmoil turning into the salvation of a family. God used the pain and turmoil of Paul and Silas and produced the regeneration of a family. Your pain is not for nothing. Your pain is, in fact, deliberate and designed with a great result. You might not know what the result is. You may never know in this life what the result is. That doesn't change the reality. That God is not asleep. And God is not powerless. And God is not unmoved. He doesn't not care. The pain we experience in this life is but a momentary light affliction. 
and it is working in us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. It doesn't feel like it when you're in the middle of it. But I can tell you, folks, the God who supplied joy to Paul and Silas in the midst of their persecution is the same God who can supply that same joy to you. Take a look, please, at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 3. Paul, again, is the, the author. Of course, God the Spirit is the one who inspired this. But Paul, the author, writes, But put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed. Listen carefully. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. At the selfsame hour, being dishonored but honored by God. At the very same moment, sorrowful because of circumstances that are painful and yet filled with rejoicing because of the one for whom they are being persecuted. What is the reason for Paul's ability to rejoice while dealing with pain? Well, he answered that a bit in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just two chapters earlier, where he talks about... Um, always bearing in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks very similarly. Look, look there, please, at chapter 4. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted. What's, what's that next one say? When, when you are persecuted, your mind will tell you you've been forsaken. When you're in pain, when you want it to go away, your mind's going to tell you you've been forsaken. Your flesh will cry out, where's God now? Where's God now? Hasn't this been enough? Hasn't it been long enough I've been dealing with this? Can't you turn the page now? Hasn't it been enough? Your mind will tell you this. Your mind will fight against the reality that God has not forsaken you. The Bible is true. And the Spirit of God, if He dwells within you, will bear witness with your spirit 
that you are a child of God, and he will remind you that you have not been forsaken. He goes on, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What is he saying here? This pain is not for nothing. It's so that Christ can be magnified. Christ can be seen. He's alive. He's well. He's not hindered. He's not in a tomb. He's alive. He's manifest in our bodies. Verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Go down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They do not go away. This is... This is what sustained him in those dark nights that lasted a night after a night, after a week, after a month, after years. I don't know what afflictions you've been through, but I know you're going through something. Some of us, some of you, say it that way better, some of you, are really going through something far more long and enduring than a lot of others of us have. But I want to testify to you that you can have joy at the self-same moment that you have pain. You can have joy while you endure. Why? Because it's not yours. It's not your joy. It's not something that comes from your ability. Later in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us more information as to how he could endure such grief joyfully. Because as he experienced the glory of seeing that God is real and that there is a a heaven to come, he said God gave him a thorn in the flesh to buffet him, to strike him down, to, to hamper him in his own resources. And he asked the Lord three times, God, take this away. Take it away. I don't want to deal with this any longer. I've had enough. And God said, my grace is enough for you. For my strength comes to its real completion in your weakness. Paul learned by God's training hand that in order for the reality of Christ to truly be demonstrated in his life, he had to jettison all of his own resources. It sounds counterintuitive, but pain oftentimes can actually be the pathway to joy. Because temporary pleasures kind of feel like joy. And I have... I'm pretty um, resourceful when it comes to finding ways to get the things I want. 
So if I know something brings me joy, I kind of schedule one of those babies in every now and then to keep me sane. All right, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, and then there'll be this rejuvenation of happiness. Sometimes those things, while there's nothing wrong with them, actually rob us from experiencing real joy because we don't thirst for real enduring joy because we have sustained ourselves with snacks. You know what I mean? You've had snacks before, and then when it was mealtime, really want to eat that, but I don't feel up to it. I'm not hungry. Well, we kind of snack on little joys of this life, and we're not hungry for the real thing that will sustain joy all the time. So again, don't misread what I said. I don't want to to miscommunicate. I'm not saying that going for a bike ride or going for a hike or having something that you like to eat or you know, going to the beach or whatever it is that does, does it for you is bad. I'm saying it can be bad. I'm saying it can be a substitute for real, lasting joy. Here's what happens, and I don't want to get too off the rails here. When we find real joy in Christ... All of those lesser things, we still enjoy. We still enjoy all of those lesser things. But we enjoy them more. Because they're in the context of experiencing and enjoying the reality of who God is. And so it's not like I'm stealing this little joy for myself. It's like that this joy is being enhanced. So I'm not talking about not you know living a a non-frilly life and don't do anything fun. That is not anything of what I'm saying. I'm saying that while we experience pain, we can still experience joy. And when that happens, we know that that joy is real. Take a look, please, at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 11, all these people who trusted God and God brought about fruitfulness in their lives in one way or another, some of which, it says toward the end of the chapter, um, it didn't feel like fruit because they were sawn asunder and things like this, um, swallowed by fire, you know, th- things like this. Uh, but as you come to chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's, there's the charge. Set aside those things that distract us and those things that are sinful. Those things that are weighty and keep us from running the race properly and those things that are sinful that hamper our race for sure. Let us run with patience or endurance the race set before us. How do we do this? Verse 12, or excuse me, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the pioneer, and perfecter, completer, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Let's just pause there for a second. You're smart people, right? You are, right? He just said, the joy that was set before him, and he didn't say he got to eat fish on the beach. He said he endured the cross. 
The cross, again, we're smart enough to know, was painful. From a physiological standpoint, it was excruciating. From an emotional standpoint, Jesus, the God-man, suffered emotionally. He cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? And he suffered spiritually because the Bible tells us he became sin for us. This, he's eternal, okay? We don't understand what that means. But eternal means he's there and there. Okay? He's at the beginning and the end. It's not like his life is linear. It was when he's Jesus the God-man. But God the Son, His life is not on this time track. Okay, this happens, this No, that's why God can say, I'm already sanctified, I'm already glorified. It's already done because God is not bound to this timeline. He's eternal. He knows the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the end. So here's Jesus. His whole existence, eternal, has never known physical pain, emotional turmoil, and spiritual agony. And the Bible describes it. And this is the spirit for the joy that was set before him. He's filled. His days are filled with glory and joy. And the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Pain does not Delete God's joy. Is that clear? If you, because of your pain and turmoil, are not experiencing God's joy, that son, friend, brother, sister, that is on you. Why? Well, the third point, which will be much more brief than our second point, is God is the reservoir of joy. God is the reservoir of joy. Turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to have some other things to say before that, but just for the sake of your preparing yourself in the Scriptures, turn to Matthew 25. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about the law and, and how it's functions in certain ways for our good. And then he says in verse 11, he speaks of the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And then later on in the book of 1 Timothy, at the end, in chapter 6, in verse 14, he speaks about Jesus appearing, the appearing of the Lord Jesus. And and this is what it says, how it describes God. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. So the term that we're focusing in on just for a few moments is this term blessed. Jesus used the term blessed, same word, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are meek. And at the end of that section, he says, 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word blessed in both places has this idea of contentment or true joy. Joyful are the poor in heart. Joyful are those who mourn. Mourn what? Their sin, their way. Joyful are the meek. Joyful are the ones who are persecuted. God himself is the joyful or blessed God. The idea of contentment or joy is here. We're in Matthew 25. The context you may remember from your reading, but he's talking about judgment. He's talking about those who who come before God and uh, some that are here well done and things like this. Look at Matthew 25 and verse 21 as he describes the parable of the talents. He says, his master, in verse 21, said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Listen carefully. Can you really try to hear this? Enter into the joy of your master. And he doesn't say it once, but twice. Verse 23, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. To the next one, he who ha- uh, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Whose joy is it? It's the master's joy. In the, the parable, we're talking about some person that went away and came back. But the parable is pointing us to something greater, right? Whose joy are we talking about? God's joy. He is a reservoir of joy. He's a fountain of joy. He's filled with joy and surrounded by joy and inundated with joy because He is joy. It's who He is. In Nehemiah chapter 8, they've they've rebuilt part of the city and and they come in. This is before. This is in the middle of the, the book. They, they gather, they find the scrolls, and they have a worship service, for lack of a better term. They're reading the scriptures, the people standing up for hours on end, listening to the scriptures. And the people are crying. Because they hadn't heard the scriptures read like this for such a long time. And there's this, this sadness... Joy, I really don't know. Who knows exactly what's going on? But the the leaders were saying to them, listen, this day is holy to the Lord. This feast is holy to the Lord. Don't mourn. And he says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy is... Not your joy. Not the one that you manufactured or learned because you're so smart. Not, oh, I went to all my Sunday school classes and they told me what joy is supposed to look like and now I can go and be joyful. The Bible tells me to be joyful, now I can go do joy. No! 
None of that. You will fail and be sad and think, what, what kind of a God is this telling me to be joyful? I can't find joy anywhere. He is the reservoir of joy. You want joy, it comes from him. He's perfect joy. You will never, never feel dissatisfied in his joy. So that brings us to our last point. And it's vitally important. God, God shares his joy with his people. This reservoir, joy, who he is, that one day will enter into that joy. This God, in time and space, right now, shares his joy with us. The Bible says, and Jesus is the author, uh, speaker at this point, John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, listen carefully, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How is their joy full? Because God's joy, Jesus' joy, is in them. And then he says in the, the prayer for, the, for believers in John 17, he says, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That my joy may absolutely indwell and overflow and overwhelm them. Fulfilled in themselves. That God's joy has come to earth. And its landing spot? It doesn't need a long runway. You don't have to extend that baby and reroute all the roads. God's joy just enters one spot or 200 spots or 2 million spots, etc., etc., etc. You can extrapolate from there. Whose joy is it? Where is he willing to share it? In us. So, with that being said, this is vitally important. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Have I said this is vitally important enough yet this morning? I might say it more. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of truth. He's talking about Jesus. I'm, t- I'm telling you, John is saying, I'm telling you, I've heard, I've seen, I've touched, I've been near, I've been leaned on his breast. I know him. The life, excuse me, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. So who's he talking about? talking about the Lord Jesus, right? Because He is life. Which was with the Father and was made manifest to you. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if we stopped the sentence right there, we would just really be encouraged, right? You read that? Are you encouraged? 
I've seen, heard, tasted, felt. I've been with Jesus. I, this one that has been revealed to me, I want to reveal to you. He, he's life. He's been with the Father. He is God. I, I, I've seen him, and you can have fellowship with him. If it ended there, we would be really excited. But verse 4 gets better. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, the, the idea that, that I see here is that through this fellowship, our joy is full and overflowing. Fellowship with the Father and with the Son results in the fullness of joy. So I'll remind you of why we're even talking about joy. In the book of Galatians, he's told us in chapter 5 that we are to be serving one another because of the freedom that is ours and that loving service comes from God's gracious enablement in us. And he starts to define it in chapter 5 and verse 16. So I say, walk with or in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't be about you and your passions and your own pursuits. Don't, don't allow lasciviousness to rule you, the, the, the liberal, loose living, to say, I'll find my joy here. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he talks about the, the, the battle that goes on in verse 17, the the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary, the one to another, so you cannot do the things you wish. He goes on and talks about being led by the spirit in verse 18. Then 19 through 21, he talks about the fruit of the flesh. But then he talks about the fruit of the spirit. When we're walking in the spirit, this is what you can expect. This is not what you work on. This is what you can expect. You can expect... When you walk in the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the first one is love, and the second one is who can expect joy? Who? Can you expect joy because you're a believer? The answer is no. You can expect joy as a believer if you will walk empowered by the Spirit. So, believer in Jesus Christ, maybe you are in pain, maybe you're in turmoil, maybe you're dissatisfied with some relationship, some monetary situation, some working situation, some uh, inner turmoil that's going on. You are constantly depressed, you're constantly anxious, you're constantly all kinds of things, and you, you think, man, I'm not joyful at all. Here's what I want to tell you. God's joy is unmoved. It's always the same. And what I want to tell you is, you and I should never, ever accept living a life that is not brimming with joy. That doesn't mean we don't have pain. And it doesn't mean that we're not sad about some problem that's going on. It doesn't mean that we're not sad for some unbeliever that we wish would come to know Christ. It doesn't mean we're not sad because some pain that has endured. 
we have joy in the face of pain. It's God's joy. And I cannot, I cannot accept misery. I cannot accept dissatisfaction. I cannot accept painful misery and woe inside of my spirit. I can't embrace my human rationale that says I really have a right to be anxious and angry and depressed. Because what you're looking at in those circumstances, what I might be looking at in those circumstances is there's got to be something I can hold on to, something tangible that can eliminate this problem so I can be happy. That is settling for a substitute for the joy that God is willing to share with you that doesn't change regardless of your circumstance. Brothers and sisters, if we look at some dissatisfying thing in our lives and we settle for a lack of God's joy in our lives, it's because we are settling for a lack of proper fellowship with Him. I, I look at myself. You know, there, there are days when you just don't feel right. You don't feel like a good person. It's because you're not. You might feel angry or irritable, snappy, edgy, fidgety, anxious. You and I can't settle for, wow, it's just an off day. Just an off day. We have to hold ourselves accountable. Is this what God's joy looks like? Most of the time we're going to have to answer truthfully and say, no, this is not what God's joy looks like. So what's the problem? The problem is, is I am idolizing circumstances. I want the circumstances to go in accordance with my will and my plan. And I've made my temporary happiness, my little G God, bow down to it, and I sit in misery. And everyone around me can feel it. And you negatively impact your spouse, your children, and those that you do not hypocritically throw your smile on next to. And they can all feel it. And instead of them seeing a display of God's character in you or in me, they see a display of us. And we haven't helped them at all. Joy is not promised to someone simply because they're born again. It's quite possible to be a miserable Christian. The experience of the Spirit's fruit results from a life lived in harmonious fellowship with God Himself. In the process of harmonious fellowship with God, God's very character is imprinted upon His child. That was His purpose all along, that we would bear His image, and one of those elements is His joy. Well, the experience of joy 
is beneficial to our soul, it is also the way that others around us have a visible reminder of a living, gracious, glorious, joyful God. God demonstrates His joy in us for His glory, not so people will think we're swell, but so people will know He's alive and real. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We, we struggle. We struggle with circumstances and pain and turmoil, and, and we struggle to settle for secondary joys rather than your joy. I pray, Father, for each one of us in various places in life. Some are in a great deal of pain physically. Some sit here in probably a great deal of emotional turmoil. Some may sit here in spiritual turmoil. You know each one. You know each sorrow. You know each challenge. I ask, Father, that you would help us to yield to you, to see that your joy is real and is not dependent upon whether all of our felt needs, our thoughtful needs, are met exactly as we think. But your joy actually shines greatest when our felt needs are not met. And so we pray that you'd help us to recognize our weakness and to not settle for anything less than the full experience and demonstration of your joy. I pray, Father, that through your power and your work, you might put your glory on such display in our individual and church life that people would come to see your glory and their need for Jesus and how you can meet their most important need, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray for anyone in this room that's not come to the place of having the gift of salvation. I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes to their own sin and open their eyes to your perfect provision for their sin, Jesus. How he paid the price for their sin that they might have eternal life. And I pray, Father, you might call them to yourself that they would have life and the Spirit dwelling within them that they might experience this joy that we've spoken of this morning. We commit ourselves to you, asking you to produce what only you can produce, your love and joy and peace, all the fruits of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.